You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. One, uh, I want to preach tonight or teach tonight on the power of a loving relationship with Jesus. Real simple title, nothing snazzy. The power of a loving relationship with Jesus. I believe that's kind of the emphasis as we look at this. Um, notice, if you would, in... Colossians 1, begin in verse number 28. Colossians 1, 28. The Bible says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for us as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, or I'm sorry, as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, uh, and unto all riches of full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we'll stop reading right there. Oh, Micah did get it up for me. Thank you, buddy. Uh, so I'll, have, I'll be able to go through those here in a little bit. But anyway, uh, the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. First of all, just we, we introduced an overview of this section last week, you know, noting Paul's intensity. We was talking about it matters. A lot of times people think it doesn't matter what you believe or uh, why would there be such a big deal if you're saved? And, you know, so what if you get off on a few things? At least you're saved and going to heaven. But it must have really mattered. And so today, number one, we see Paul's intensity. Paul's intensity. We, we highlighted these last week, so I'm not going to belabor these points. But uh, in verse 29, we see that he was laboring. He was striving. In chapter 2, verse 1, he had great conflict for them, which emphasizes that it must have really mattered what these Colossians believe, especially in relationship to who Jesus is. So understanding, in other words, not only what we believe, but especially what we believe as it relates to the person and the proper place of the Lord Jesus Christ. It couldn't be more vital. He's writing a book Oh, I'm sorry, let me, let me back up here. The, the thing that, that really struck me as I was reading about this is the practical, real-life reasons that it matters. Because have you ever thought about that? I mean, if you've been in a Bible-preaching church any time at all, it's emphasized, hey, it matters what you believe. You know, make sure you believe the right thing, and here's what God's Word said. Is, this is the truth. And that really is important. But a lot of times we don't really stop to ask why. You know, and, and as a result of that, and here I, I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail or anything, but as a result of that, a lot of times people just assume that we learn what's right so we can just tell everybody else how they're wrong. Not the motive, amen? That's not the goal. It's cool, and we're going to see it just in a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with a few points uh, that I believe really highlight the practical, everyday, real-life nature of having Jesus Christ first. But I'll say a little bit about it now. Paul's intensity. Okay, he's writing to people who have already put their faith and trust in Christ. Therefore, their eternal destiny is not an issue. 
you can understand laboring and striving and having conflict. I mean, I believe we all have that for people that we love, whether it's our family members or friends. Man, we have, hopefully we're laboring and hopefully we're striving and hopefully we're, uh, you know, we're, we're in conflict and battle. And we, we looked at uh, those words carrying the idea of agony. Hopefully we're that way over people who aren't saved. But Paul is that way over these people who are saved. Again, because it really matters what they believe. Their eternal destiny wasn't an issue, an issue. The very moment that you are saved by the grace of God, you have spiritual life. You have everlasting life. I've had people ask me before why I believed that we had e why, why I believed in eternal security. Why I believed that once a person was truly saved, uh, that they were saved forever. My simple answer to that is just simply the Bible says so, amen? Uh, but my, one of my more in-depth answers is he said I had eternal life, everlasting life. And that life begins the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ. Um, you know, there's been the terminology once saved, always saved. I'm not necessarily a big fan of that terminology uh, just because I believe it's been misapplied. But I will say this, if you're saved, you're always saved. Uh, if you're truly saved, you're saved for all eternity. And yes, indeed, once, saved, once you're truly saved, you are saved forever. Eternal life. Uh, that's what we have when we put our faith and trust in Christ. But that is not the only reason that came. See, the one, here's, I just got to stop and say, one of the great things about having everlasting eternal life is once you're saved by God's grace, can Satan change that? Can you change that? I mean, man, he says we're in God's hand and nobody can take us out of his hand. We can't jump and somebody says, I can jump out of his hand. <laughs> no, you can't. Uh, I mean, listen, once you're truly saved by the grace of God, there's nothing that Satan can do about it. So therefore, Satan just says, well, they're saved now. I guess I lost that battle and then he moves on. Is that right? That is not right, okay? Uh, speaking kind of facetiously, but wh wh why does he keep on then? All right, ruin our testimony so other people don't get saved. That's, a, that's one of the reasons he definitely keeps on. What, what could be some of the other reasons that Satan keeps on if he can't keep us out of heaven? Yeah, if we're not living for him, God's not glorified with our actions, is connected with Nellie's. Are you going to say something, Kurt? Yeah, keep you from growing and maturing. Um, keep from spreading the gospel, that's right. Um, what? Yeah, sure, sure it does. It hurts the Father when, you're, when, when, I, when His children aren't really laying hold on all that He has for us as His children. So that's an important thing also to distinguish. And just remember this, how does Satan feel about you? We know that God has an ultimate love for you, but what does uh, Satan and his uh, demons and devils feel toward us? absolute hatred they we are the object of god's love therefore we are the object of satan's hatred so he, he can't do one thing about it man here's here's the important thing though okay he cannot do anything about us having spiritual life everlasting life but now jesus did jesus come only that we might have life no he did not he did he said not only have i come that you might have life but what did he say I've come that you might have it more abundantly. So we, we can't act like that doesn't matter because it matters a lot. And that's kind of the point of, of really a lot of the New Testament for that matter in the Bible. It really matters. So 
Jesus didn't just come that we might have life. He came that we might have abundant life. But notice John 10, 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Overflowing. I mean just blessed. That's why Jesus came, that you might have life, that you might be saved, and that you might have abundant life. And you should not settle for anything less than the abundant life. You say, oh, well, I've, I've failed and I've sinned, and so what? I mean, we all fail, we all sin. We're, we're, that's who we are, we're sinners. But by God's grace, we bounce back like I preached a couple weeks ago. We, we, we repent, we confess, we get right with God, and we go on. God has never once been surprised when we mess up. God is never once surprised whenever we fall short. Not at all. Uh, he's just saying, hey, get it right and go on for God. So, but here's the problem. I dare say that perhaps the vast majority of Christians do not have the proper view of our Heavenly Father, nor of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore do not have the correct view of who we are in Christ, which results in a life that is robbed of the Lord's intended abundance. I'll just say that again. I, I feel like the vast majority of Christians don't have the proper view of the Father or of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we do not have the correct view of who we are in Christ. And that results in a life that's robbed of the Lord's intended abundance. Man, we are missing all that God has for us so many times because we, it starts... You know, if you work your way backwards, people just don't have the right view of God. I know this because there's a bunch of people that have messed up and then sit around like failures for the rest of their Christian lives. There are people that are inter... I mean, it, man, it's, 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 just one, it's one of the detriments of, you know, this... Putting all this uh, responsibility, the, 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 the standards that we put, and I believe in biblical standards, don't misunderstand me, but, the, but the, the standards of men that we often put on each other, and you'll see where I'm going with this in just a moment as we get through the message, but when we fall short of what we think we ought to be living as Christians, and then all of a sudden, well, man, we must just be rejects because we're not able to achieve that. Uh, in other words, when you get introduced to your old nature and reminded of your old nature again, and then you give up and say, man, I'm just terrible. Well, yeah, your old nature will be terrible till you get to heaven. And that's important to understand. But, but people don't have the right relationship with who they are in Christ because we don't really have the, the, the proper picture of Christ, the proper picture of the Father. And so that's where we go into the second point. We see Paul's intensity, which kind of wraps up last week's. And then number two, Paul's instruction. Notice what the Bible says in verse 28. We're going back a verse. But he says, whom we preach. Now look, look at this uh, natural outline that he gives us here. Whom we preach. What are you preaching, Paul? We're warning every man. And we're teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So he tells us a little bit about his ministry, his instruction. He says that he preached. I like this. He, we see his, that he evangelized every man. He preached to every man. He educated every man as he taught. And he edified every man, wanting to present every man perfect in Christ. But the whom there of verse 28, uh, the very first word there, says whom is a reference, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I like what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5. I'm not sure if I included this or not. No, that's, I included that last week. I think that's why I skipped that. But So I'll just give it to you quickly. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 or 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord. Now that sounds like such a simple verse. And I want to tell you that one of my goals tonight is you can go, grow real, go real broad. And understanding the context of Colossians, it's important that we do understand that he is addressing Gnostics. He's, he's addressing just out-and-out out false teachers, okay? And we do refer back to that every once in a while. We talked about it last week. But today, I really want to kind of focus on how that we can get some of these tendencies even within the, our, our true Christian lives, even within true Bible-preaching churches, because I've got to say right there, I've been in some meetings before, and I've been in some phases of my life or ministry to where I wonder if that statement is really true, for we preach not ourselves. I've seen people thumping their chest and sticking their chest up about who they are, and they're preaching themselves rather than preaching Christ. But he says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Uh, second, uh, Corinthians 4, 5. 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, the Bible says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So Paul's preaching, teaching, his edification was all based in Jesus Christ. The false teachers exalted themselves and their great spiritual attainments. They preached a system of teaching, but Paul preached the person of Christ. The Gnostics preached a philosophy and empty traditions of men, but Paul proclaimed Jesus Christ. The false teachers had lists of rules and regulations, but Paul presented Christ. So he preached. But not only did he preach, he, we also see that he warned. He says, warning every man and teaching every man. So he, he preached and he warned, all right? While it is good to proclaim positive truth, it's also necessary to warn God's peoples about the lies of the enemy. Acts 20 verse 31 says, this is the Apostle Paul leaving the Ephesian elders, and he says, by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And that, that's what he did. So we've got to warn people because, well, wow, I'll go ahead and give you the next slide, I think. We need to warn people because we need to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he works in the realm of false teaching. <laughs> and remember, the Satan, Satan, if he don't get you one way, he'll try to get you the other. See, that's the thing. And some people think, see, I'm telling you, because you think about this, and this is kind of where I'm kind of honing in on a little bit tonight, uh, being practical and being to something that many of us can relate to, that sometimes we can... Uh, we, we can get so staunch and firm and, man, we're believing right, but if we're not careful, we can be so stinking proud about it. We can get filled with pride about the way we believe, proud about the way we're living. And, uh, and I'm telling you, anytime we're exhibiting that type of pride, listen, pride withers in the light of God's presence. And if we're truly in God's presence, we're not going to be proud in that sense thinking we're better than other people we're going to think we might think and know that we're better off than other people but we don't think we're better than anyone else we just think man thank god god saved us amen and, and if we know the truth um we're not arrogant about knowing the truth the bible says we should you know be answered to give a ready uh, answer 
ready to give an answer to every man, but it says with meekness, with meekness. Uh, and, in and in fear, the Bible says there. So we need to be meek. Um, but uh, there again, so he warned. So he warned, and then it also says that he taught. So we preach, warning every man, teaching every man. Um, it's not enough just to warn people. We must also teach the positive truths of the Word of God. So we do need to warn people. We do need to give people the negative. But we don't just give people the negative. <laughs> now, am I the only one who has ever endured preaching, dealing with a certain passage or maybe a certain truth or topic, and the entire message is what this particular thing is not and what this does not mean? I've literally heard whole messages based on what a passage does not mean. And I'm sitting there at the end thinking, well, it would, kind of would have been nice to learn what it does mean. You know, I, I thought about that years ago. I thought about that when it came to, you know, Mariology as it was, the, the worship of Mary. And it just kind of dawned on me one day, all I've ever heard for years was all that Mary is not. Well, it's, it's not this and it's not that. And I'm thinking, well, why don't somebody teach and preach about who Mary really was? She's an awesome lady, right? I mean, I think some Baptists were scared to say that. Uh, she was an awesome lady. Uh, I mean, she was a, a great servant of God. And so I went and uh, studied about uh, Mary and, and saw what kind of great person and Christian that she was. But... So I say that I've had to endure. So have you heard messages like that? Some of you are looking at me funny. So hopefully you haven't. But if you're like me, you have. And now, I don't know about you. Maybe if, maybe if there's a teacher or a preacher in here. Have you ever been guilty of doing that? I've also been guilty of doing that. I, uh, I should raise my hand like this because I'm not proud of it. But I've done the same thing before. Um, so, but, but there is a thing of uh, preaching, warning, and teaching. It's not enough just to warn people. Uh, you know... How far would we get in our travels if all highway signs told us, I start giving these illustrations and I start thinking about the young folks that probably don't pay a bit of attention to a highway sign, amen? They just do whatever the GPS says, right? It's like, turn right up here, okay. Uh, but how far, and you, even if it's the GPS though, uh, but, but let's go back to the highway signs. How far would we get in life if we're just going down the interstate and there's a big sign that says, uh, exit 29 does not go to Austin, You come up on exit 28, and, and then there's a big billboard sign up there that says, um, you know, I don't know, uh, Council Bluffs, nowhere near here. Uh, I mean, just going right down the line. Can you imagine that being the case? So we've got to be careful sometimes if we're just always talking about what something is not. We've got to teach people what stuff really is. Uh, Paul preached, but he taught. And I, I love this. Folks, he taught Christ. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2 with me again. The Bible says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our preaching should be centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It was not necessary to introduce any new teaching. For all that, that a believer needs to know is related to Jesus Christ. You know what my goal's been for years as a preacher and a teacher and as a Christian in general? Man, I want to get people to fall in love with Jesus. I really do. Because uh, if people fall in love with Jesus, man, I tell you, I think that's going to take care of a lot of things, don't you? But see, the problem is, and with, at the risk of getting ahead of myself, a lot of times the problem becomes 
Getting, try, trying to get people to fall in love with Jesus kind of takes too long. I'm trying to get these people to fall in love with Jesus, man, but they're still not talking right. They're still not dressing right. They're still not looking right. They're still not smelling right. Whatever the case is. So you know what? I'm going to have to, maybe we can get them in love with Jesus, but I need to just get them in love with wanting to not be pressured, you know, wanting to be a part of the group when they come to church. That's what we're going to start doing now. Uh, and then that way, if nothing else, at least it looks like they love Jesus. And that way when we have a special meeting, you know, and we have a conference, my buddies come in and they look around and they look at, they look at all these Jesus-loving people. I wish that I was telling you a story that wasn't true right there, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of that kind of stuff goes on. Uh, sad to say. But man, if we, it, it's all about Jesus. Trying to point people to Jesus. Uh, teaching every man in all wisdom was Paul's concern. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. The false teachers promised to give people a hidden wisdom that would make them spiritually elite. But all true, true spiritual wisdom is found only in Jesus Christ. And speaking of warnings, I just want to throw a warning here at the end of this point. That he warned, here's one, beware of spiritual elitism. That's what the Gnostics wanted, spiritual elitism. And that's what they promised if you kept all their rules and joined their club, Ralph, spiritual elitism. Beware of that. You can be one of us. You can be one of us. You can sit up here with us. And so Paul, Paul preached, he warned, he taught. So we see this evening Paul's intensity, Paul's instruction. And then lastly, I want to give you some points about Paul's intent. And this will be the heart of the message. Uh, Paul's intent. Notice what the Bible says there again in um, verse number 28 of chapter 1. Whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man, and all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What was his intent? His intent was to see people. And by the way, remember what it means when the Bible talks about perfection? Complete, being complete, being mature in Christ. That's what it's talking about there. He wants to present some Christians that are living the abundant life. That's what he wants. And so that's his goal. That's what he's striving for. That's what he's conflicted over. That's what he's working so hard for. So he had, an in he had intentions. This is the goal of all preaching, warning, and teaching is to try to present people mature and perfect in Christ. Now this is cool because I want to, the, the last little bit I want to give you here is how kind of the evidences of the spiritual maturity that Paul's going after. And I love this, because I want you to pay attention to this. this the, the, the marks, the fruit, what is, the, what is showing that the, these people are growing, that they're maturing, that they're becoming more complete? Because it's not necessarily the things that we often hear about or maybe think about. The very first one, if you notice there in verse number 2, that their hearts uh, might be comforted. Shut up. Y'all laughing at my voice cracking? Told you I'm still young. Uh, that their hearts might be comforted. All right, so that's the first thing. You know the very first thing he says? He says, I want you guys to grow in comfort. They still laughing at me. Uh, I want them to grow in encouragement. Encouragement. Our English word encourage means with heart. With 
heart. So to encourage people is to give them new heart. It brings out the best in people. So he's saying, I want you to be comforted, that, that their hearts might be comforted. He wants you to be encouraged. Ain't that good? So one of the signs of spiritual maturity is encouragement. Getting encouraged. And by the way, uh, many of you are familiar with this passage. You see that? Too bad you weren't sitting on the front row. I would have got you. I spit with pepper in my mouth. But anyway, uh, there's a place in the Old Testament where the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. You ever have to encourage yourself? Man, I encourage myself all the time. I really do because I need it. Amen. Uh, I really do. I need it, man. And, uh, but you know what? Not only what we, do, we ought to encourage ourselves in the Lord, and really that's just the edification of the Spirit and the Word of God, but folks, encourage somebody else. Be a blessing to somebody else. Try to find a way to lift somebody else up. I mean, man, we ain't always got to be complaining and whining and belly aching and being in the mully grubs, you know. So encouragement. So one of the marks of spiritual maturity that he wants to see, I want you to see you being encouraged, and I want to see you encouraging others. Number two, he says he speaks of endearment. Encouragement is a mark of spiritual maturity that he's looking for, but also endearment. Here's what he says, being knit together in love. Being knit together in love. The mature Christian loves the brethren and seeks to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. He's a part of spiritual unity in the church. An immature person is often selfish and causes division. But I love this phrase, being knit together, and it's important here, being knit together in love. Uh, being knit together in love. Because it's not in pressure, it's not in any of these other things. Man, how are we knit together? In love. We're not forced together. By golly, this is the way you're going to... No, we're knit together. I mean, any of you ever knit? Me neither. But from what I understand, there's some effort that goes into it. There's vision that goes into it. Somebody's doing it. Well, who's doing the knitting? I believe God will knit us together in love. Amen? God is making something beautiful with us. And He's doing it by knitting us together in love. But we've got to allow the Spirit of God to do that work in our hearts. But it's a beautiful picture of being knit together in love. You think about what the church does. The church takes a woman like Mary Magdalene and knits her together, makes her one with Mary, the mother of Jesus this pure, awesome, godly woman. And, and, and it's not that one's higher than the other, man. They're equal in Christ. They're knit together in love. They're walking together there to the cross and to the tomb and so forth. I mean, Mary Magdalene, listen, the cross, what the church does is it, it knits together Simon the Zealot with the publican Matthew. I mean, one who is opposed and wants to overthrow the Roman government and a guy that's on the Roman government's payroll as a Jew. But they get saved and they're knit together in love. God's able to take, God is able to take, I mean, uh, Peter the doer and knit him together with John the dreamer. The church is a pretty miraculous thing, is it not? I mean, because not only, now it's, it's, it seems like a lot to ask to ask for the church to get along. 
Because really at work, it's better if we get along. But you don't necessarily have to like each other to get along at work, do you? You don't have to talk to each other. So maybe you can kind of avoid. Man, but at church, we're not only supposed to like one another. We're definitely supposed to love one another. You may not always like me, but you have to love me, buddy. <laughs> uh, I'm just telling you. Uh, but the, but the, the point that I'm just simply trying to make is this. But it's unique. Because, and I can't help but just, it just go back in my mind. Man, I come in here today and I heard uh, Miss Kim starting to play Mansion Over the Hilltop. And man, it just took me back. I remember when I first got saved by the grace of God. And I was trying to replace some of the music that I had listened to with some newer music, some different music. And I say newer. So one of the things I listened to, I had an old cassette. Y'all can Google that. Uh, I had an old cassette of just people at church singing and the church choir singing. And one of the songs on that church cassette was the choir singing Mansion Over the Hilltop. And son, you talk about, there I am, 16 years old, just saved by the grace of God. Man, I'm hearing that choir just sing out. And when I say choir, don't get the idea, oh, God, a mansion. No. This is just a bunch of country folks that are glad they're saved, and they're just up there letting her rip. I mean, just singing to the top of their lungs. I mean, and it, but it's the most beautiful. And it just stirred something in my soul. And I'd listen to that over and over and over again. And my heart and mind goes back to, I think about walking into Harvest Baptist Church there in Bessemer City, North Carolina. And I think about those people. I think about the people that from so many different backgrounds. I mean, all across the board. But man, I was a part of these people. We were knit together in love. They cared about me. I cared about them. And, uh, you know, I've told you this before, but I, I, I remember years ago I, I had a lady uh, back in Pier, and she said, oh, I just don't know about that church. I don't really have anything in common with them people down there. Well, now the problem with that was them people down there loved Jesus and was trying to live for Jesus, loved the Bible, loved souls. Now, they might not like to rope, or they maybe they didn't like to play basketball, or maybe they didn't like to do whatever else. But, folks, the one thing I can tell you is that we have in common, if you're saved, man, we ought to have a common love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God and the people of God. And I just think back on being knit together. I've never got over uh, that experience. And, I mean, I feel bad for people. I mean, I don't feel bad. I feel quite angry and very aggravated and very sad. Uh, for people, many people, and, and I have experienced church hurt, but I'm glad I didn't experience it as, as a young Christian. My experience as a young Christian, man, was like, man, this is incredible. Um, and I, later on, I had church hurt. There's no kind of hurt like church hurt, man. Let me tell you right now, I, 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 I've given this illustration before, but man, I don't know, I don't think there's a worse place in the world to get hurt. You say, well, it's pretty bad in your family. It is pretty bad in your family, but you're not as vulnerable with your family as you can be in church. Right, with church people, uh, your family, you know, people that you learn to trust and everything. And I always think back to uh, uh, Brother Carter. I can't remember his first name, but he pastored years ago down in South Carolina, down around Spartanburg. And, and I just remember him talking about people in his church that had gotten saved from really rough backgrounds. I think he had one missing an eye because they had it, they had it to, like poked out with a, with a pool cue, you know, a pool stick. I mean, cut and shot. I mean, just rough, rough people. Live for years in that kind of way. He said, man, they couldn't make it eight months in a Baptist church. They found a whole lot meaner people sitting on those church pews than they ever found in those bars. 
And that's the truth. Now, praise God, it hadn't been the truth here, amen? We've been so blessed, and we're, very, we're so blessed in that regard. But I'm telling you, it's, it's sad, but it's true. Yeah, they might look good, they might sing, they might sing like an angel. But I tell you, they got the tongue of a devil. Some of the, I mean, some of them got a tongue so long you could roll it out across the altar up here, and it'd go from end to end. As in, they talk a lot, and they run people down and everything, okay? Uh, so the point I'm just simply trying to make is that that ought not to be we, we, we love the church being brought together that's the way the church is supposed to be in Hampton Court in London England there's a large greenhouse containing an old and magnificent vine its branches run everywhere its foliage is beautiful its, it, it, its fruit is colorful and abundant even the most remotest tendril of this vine, seeking a corner in which it can cling, is vitally connected with the parent stem. That vast vine is an organic whole. One branch does not, listen to me, I'm thinking about this vine in Hampton Court in London, England. They're all kind of going everywhere, but they're all connected to one source. They're all working together, but they're all connected to one source. One vine, listen, does not try to dominate another vine. One vine doesn't try to direct another branch. Each branch runs back to its source. The branches are independent, yet dependent. Each reaches to its corner of the greenhouse. Each adds its contribution to the splendor of the whole. Each is busy producing its own foliage, fruits, and flowers. That's a good picture of the church. You know, it just goes back to the same illustration I've talked about before. Jesus wants us to abide in him and bear fruit. He wants us to abide in him and bear much fruit. And too often, churches, ministries have turned into manufacturing places rather than places where people can grow and become fruitful. And we can, you know, be an encouragement one to another and let one another grow. And I'm telling you, see, because what happens in church, man, you know, you get people to be, that become inspectors in the church, you know. And we've teased about this, especially in the days of Facebook. You know, we talk about the FBI. Fundamental Baptist Independent. And they're scouring over every Facebook page looking for something that looks out of place so that they can, you know, come back and report. It's just awful, uh, the things that go on. I mean, listen, because as far as I'm concerned, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a person up here today. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm in my old nature a terrible person, but I've been saved by God's grace. God has put a desire in my heart to do something for Him. I want to live for Him. I want to be fruitful for Him. I want to make a difference for Him. Here's the thing about it. That takes a lot of, that's a full-time job. Therefore, I ain't got time to come around looking at everything you're doing. I don't have time, Ron, to try to dot your I's and cross your T's. Because if I do, mine's going to go uncrossed and dotted. You know, see what I'm saying? So I just need to be connected in Christ. I need to be an encouragement. I mean, I need to be willing to be an encouragement and, and to admonish. It's not that we don't do that. We've talked about that before. Don't let me go to, to, to an extreme here. But I'm just simply saying, as a whole, we grow. 
allow room for growth in people's lives. It's kind of like a grove of uh, oak trees, live oak trees. The grove is much stronger than a single tree because the deep roots are intertwined with neighboring trees. This strength doesn't depend on the trees. Uh, this uh, strength does not depend on the trees because the strength is in the roots below the surface. All right, so the warning I had earlier was beware of spiritual elitism. That's kind of what was going on with Colossians. Spiritual elitism. Number two, beware of surface Christianity. Surface Christianity. It's not sustainable. And it's really not sustainable as far as actually producing fruit. Um, man, you know, it's just... We, we get into a lot of things that just aren't really glorifying God. We really get to where we're almost trying to please each other sometimes or please somebody else. But man, we need to, our focus ought to be on pleasing God. Beware of surface Christianity. Christians are stronger when they have deep roots of love and are knit together with their brothers and sisters. This strength doesn't depend on the people because our strength is love. Um, I don't know if I can put these or not. Yeah. Um, well, there's one. Uh, let no communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is to the good of the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's on the encouragement part. Uh, and this is one I want to close with in just a moment. But Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4.16 says, For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase to the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so that's where I'm thinking about the idea of a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Experiencing His love, sharing His love, reciprocating His love, sharing His love with others. Um, Colossians 3.14 says, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. If we want mature, if we want to be mature, we need to have charity, that uh, sacrificial love that loves without expecting anything in return. Uh, and then uh, enrichment is the next uh, sign of spiritual maturity, and I'm, I'm going to give you these quickly. Enrichment, he says, unto all riches of full, full assurance, there in verse number 2, uh, enrichment. Man, too many Christians are living like paupers when they ought to be living like kings. The last one is enlightenment. Enlightenment, full assurance of understanding. That's how God wants us to live, being assured of His promises, being assured of your salvation. See, man, the devil plays a nasty trick. Once, once you get saved and you can't be unsaved, he'll try to spend the rest of his time trying to convince you that you're not saved at all. And it's just an ironic thing to me because the devil never told me I wasn't saved before I got saved. He never did. I got saved all of a sudden. He says I'm not. I don't know. Why didn't, why didn't he tell me that before? Um, that's because I'm saved, and he's trying to get me to doubt. Uh, man, listen, we don't have to live that way. We can live with enlightenment, with, with full assurance of understanding. And then, again, emphasizing this verse that I just put up on the board, notice this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, which is to uh, lay hold on, comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge 
that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see how that goes back to Paul's goal of Colossians? I want to be, present you perfect. In other words, fullness of God, the fullness of Christ, the abundant life that you might be filled. But I love what he says there, that you may be able to, be able to comprehend. That word comprehend right there comes from a cool Greek word that we get another word from in our English language. And it's the word prehensile. Prehensile. Does anything come to mind when I say prehensile? And I may be saying it southern and funny. Y'all learn about prehensile in biology class? Anybody? Okay, how about a prehensile tail? Does that make it? No? All right, Derek's with me. Yeah, okay, prehensile. And, and we got a biology teacher in the back, and he's just uh, giving y'all a chance. But that's right, prehensile tail. A possum has a prehensile tail. Monkeys have a prehensile tail. It wraps around. I'm, I'm, I'm closing with this story. But here's what he's saying. I want you to be able to have comprehend, comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. I want you to get a hold of this, comprehend it. Why? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. All right? It's all about Christ. It's the love of, love of Christ. But, uh... <laughs> And so I'll just give you this last warning, then I'll close with this illustration, all right? Beware of the tendency of religion to take the spotlight off of Jesus. Jesus does not share the spotlight with the Baptist. Jesus doesn't share the spotlight with our strength or our will. You know, the, or the strength of our will. How good we can live. He doesn't share the spotlight with anything else. But I want to give you this again, that we may be able to comprehend, that you may be able to comprehend... Uh, uh, breadth, length, depth, height, know the love of Christ. And so uh, the, the picture I get, and if you could just bear with me, some of you heard the story before, but I just don't get tired of telling it, as you probably know. Years ago, I used to do heat and air conditioning work, like Ralphie does, but I did residential work, and we was putting in a, a gas pack out here in the country, and, and pretty soon, my, my partner, Jeff, was an animal nut. I mean, it didn't be, it, I'm not talking about a pet nut, I'm talking about just an animal nut. He loved animals, he loved wild, it didn't matter. So we're out there putting this, you know, this, uh, this gas pack in on the outside, and all of a sudden, there goes a possum running out across the field right behind us. He drops everything and just makes a beeline toward this possum. And, uh, no, he wanted to make it a pet, I'm pretty sure. Ralph would have ate it, but uh, he, was, he was, so he goes, he almost, he just dives and barely misses the thing. It just gets out of his grip. Well, pretty soon there's a little tree right there, and that possum just, I mean, he went up that tree in a hurry and uh, got up there, and he's just hanging on the branches. And it was the most hilarious thing ever. There's a fence right here, then here's this tree that's only, you know, 15 feet tall or something. Next thing I know, here's Jeff. He jumps up on top of the fence, and he just starts shaking this tree and shaking this tree. Well, finally, that possum loses its grip. But when it loses its grip with its claws, Kurt, that tail, just in a hurry, wraps around that branch. And there's old Jeff. I don't know how long he shook that tree, just shaking and shaking. The tree's going this way and that way. Him, and I'm just thinking, what in the world is he going to do with that thing if he gets his hands on it? Um, but, he but that possum isn't going anywhere. That, you know why? Because he was comprehending something. See, and there's a lot of things that's going to try to shake you away from the love of Christ. There's a lot of things that will try to shake us, draw us away. The devil will do everything he can. He'll let all kinds of things in your life. Whether it's the external problems and troubles and trials that we all face, 
whether it's our own failures and faults, there's a lot of things that we can encounter. Whether it's, maybe, maybe it's a challenge in biology class. Maybe it's a challenge on your worldview that tries to shake you up. But I'm telling you what, God wants us to be able to comprehend. I mean, just wrap on tight like that possum. So you can shake all you want to, but I'm still a-hanging, amen? Uh, and that's exactly how we can be by the grace of God. That's the goal that Paul's trying to accomplish. Perfect, complete, mature, the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. So if we just put Jesus first and make much of Jesus, I'm telling you, if we love Jesus and every day try to draw closer to Him, man, it's going to help us to comprehend. Amen?